Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Here we go again with another edition of Texas Ag Today. Well, cattlemen from all over the country are headed to Nashville, Tennessee this week to participate in the Cattle Industry Convention at NCBA Trade Show. Yes, we are in Nashville this week to cover the Cattle Industry Convention, and we'll be bringing you that coverage right here on Texas Ag Today as the week progresses. My name's Kerry Martin. I'm your host, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture, from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Transpecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Getting a few more rains would be helpful, but overall the weather's been pretty good for Texas High Plains farmers this summer. Now, what about the fall? I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Texas farmers and ranchers help to direct funds to keep rural communities thriving. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Dryland corn production had all but disappeared from the rolling plains, but it's gradually making a comeback. Hello, I'm Barry Mahler, and I have the story in my report from North Central Texas. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Cattle producers from around the nation will be in Nashville this week for the annual Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show. Cody Webb of Barnhart, Texas, says cattle conventions like this and the recent Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Convention in Fort Worth are a great way to pick up knowledge from other cattlemen. There is someone here at this convention that has done every part of this industry, every step in that food chain. And it's just, I I can't express how beneficial it is that I can rely on them and I can reach out to them and have a different perspective. You can't help but learn something that you didn't know coming here. And you can't help but meet good people here. We'll be reporting from the Cattle Industry Convention all week long here on Texas News and Views. Texas rice farmers are helping to feed the hungry with their harvest. Jessica Domel tells how. Rice harvest is underway in some parts of Texas, and while many people will see the fruits of Texas rice farmers' labors at the grocery store, others will experience it at food banks and through nonprofit organizations. To put rice on the tables of families in need in southeast Texas, the Garrett family, who farms in the Danbury area, began donating a truckload of rice to the Houston Food Bank 37 years ago. In the late 1990s, Jack O'Garrett founded Share the Harvest, which now contributes between three-quarters of a million and a million pounds of rice annually to the Houston Food Bank. The way it happens, we will designate X number of acres for the food bank. And this year it was 130 acres here. Al Shimmick has got 45 acres in the Garwood area. It's just amazing. Last year, we didn't have to pay for anything in the way of chemicals, fertilizer. There was no labor cost. There was nothing. Everybody, the, the chemical companies just stepped up to the plate and fertilizer companies, and they donated 100% of what went into this crop. That was Jack O'Garrett. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. 
The WHIP Plus disaster bill approved by the House Agriculture Committee recently could be a big help to Texas farmers affected by recent natural disasters. Texas Congressman Mike Cloud sits on the Ag Committee. Yeah, we're thankful to get that out of the, the committee. It had uh, broad bipartisan support. Total funding was authorized at $8.5 billion. Uh, there were a number of changes made that will really help Texas producers, you know, especially after the winter storm. So that, that, of course, was an issue that affected so many people across our state. Cloud says the bill has a good chance of getting to the House floor once Congress returns from the August recess. Well, the weather has been pretty good for Texas High Plains farmers this year, but what about the upcoming fall? James Hunt takes a look from Amarillo. We've definitely been riding a heat wave the past few days, but based on the weather forecast, it looks like as the week progresses, we're going back to the cooler temperatures that have been more characteristic this season, and some parts of the area hopefully picking up some rain as well. But what about the months ahead? What should we expect for temperatures and precipitation this fall? Here's what Trent Hoffaditz with the Amarillo Office of the National Weather Service told me. The outlook given by the Climate Prediction Center is favoring us to be slightly above normal for temps and slightly below normal for precip, but it's not too heavily favored in those directions. So we're still looking at a chance for our average August, September, October, even into November, precip could be right around normal. And speaking of rain, when we started to get some good showers around the area back in May, it was actually a matter of transitioning from a La Nina situation to a more neutral weather pattern. We never actually got into an El Nino phase, and Hoffaditz says we're not expected to do so anytime soon. We're actually looking at possibly starting to go back to La Nina. And in La Nina, we actually get warmer and drier for this area in La Nina years. And going into October, November time frame, we're actually looking at close to a 66% chance of La Nina coming back. Not the happiest outlook there, but we can hope if another La Nina situation's headed our way, it won't be an especially strong one. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas rural communities can benefit from a national funding program. Tom Nicoletti tells how. The 2022 Bear Funds America's Farmers Grow Communities Program is receiving farmer and rancher applications. Erin Glarner is Bear Community Outreach Manager. She addresses the Texas involvement in the program since its inception in 2010. So some farmers in the area have given donations to 4-H clubs, FFA chapters, food pantries, and anything that you can think of that would strengthen the rural community. In Texas alone, those have been some examples where farmers have directed their donations. In terms of success rate, I would just say we have awarded more than $60 million to help strengthen rural communities. We want to partner with our farmers and growers to really strengthen rural communities. A lot of times we see that rural communities might not have access to the same resources as other communities. So we want to ensure that they have the same opportunities. We have awarded quite a few grants throughout Texas. So for next year, there will be 30 grants awarded in the state of Texas, and the funds will be distributed throughout counties throughout the entire state. 
To be eligible, farmers need to be 21 years of age or older and actively engaging in farming of 250 acres or more of any crop. And they have a few different ways that they can enroll. They can either go on our website at www.americasfarmers.com or if they participated in any of our programs in the past, they will receive a postcard in the mail. They can simply fill that out and return it via prepaid postcard. Winners will be announced in the beginning of 2022. Farmers have from now until November 1st to enroll. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Dryland corn production has practically disappeared from the Texas rolling plains, but Barry Mahler tells us it's making a comeback. It's interesting to think back over the years about changes we've seen in agriculture. There are folks who've got a lot more years under their belt than I do, but then I began to realize I've grown up around the industry and have been actively doing it myself for nearly 50 years, so that sums up to about 70 years of observations. And one of the things I've seen here on the Rolling Plains has been a slow but steady move back to dryland corn. There'd been corn grown here a long time ago, but it disappeared as wheat yields improved, and of course, USDA programs programs directed some of the cropping decisions and well we just seemed to fit the weather patterns better than corn with our tendency for hot dry summers we'd become a wheat cotton and cattle area well about 10 years ago several producers began to plant some dryland corn and I'll admit it looked odd seeing it growing here but with improved varieties and just the right inputs it's worked fairly well i think the family's got it started they've been watching it down in central texas and a few other places and decided to give it a try one of the driving factors was to find a rotation crop that would help build residue for no-till operations and spread the workload with an early spring planting window. Cotton was the summer crop of choice, but it does tend to take away from the organic matter equation and it's pretty much a single-use crop, while corn has the option to be harvested for grain, chopped for silage, or even grazed by cattle if the weather doesn't cooperate. And the early planting date is very important. Corn gets planted early and that spreads the workload out, takes a little pressure off by not requiring a farmer to get over all the acres when cotton planting season finally arrives. Well, the farmers who are growing it explain that they're not trying to compete with the corn making, say, 200 to 300 bushels like Iowa or Illinois, but they're shooting for a crop that will out-yield wheat, say, in the 60 to 80 bushel range, with inputs toned down for those yield goals. So far, it's been successful with the understanding that some years are better than others, but one thing I've noticed watching the progress is that it's a great rotational crop because we've watched some of the crops that have been planted behind it. It helps break the weed and disease cycle, and there have been some really good crops raised behind it. So that's a benefit we didn't even expect. Now, I'm not thinking this country will begin to look like the corn states of the Midwest, but I can see interest growing in raising dry land corn here on the rolling plains. I think we're going to see a good bit more of it. This is Barry Mahler reporting from North Central Texas for Texas Ag Today. Some hunters will notice a change in dove hunting season dates this year. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll explain on Texas Ag today. And treating stomach ulcers in horses can be tricky. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. 
Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Treating stomach ulcers in horses can be a tricky endeavor. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some tips. Stomach or gastric ulcers are common in all performance horses, and the most effective treatment is the use of the drug omeprazole. There are two areas in the horse's stomach, and oral omeprazole is very effective at treating ulcers located in the squamous portion, but not as effective at treating ulcers in the glandular portion. Also, the feeding of hay when giving the drug decreases the absorption by over 50%, and this drug is expensive, so if there's anything we can do to increase absorption, we could use a lower dose. The drug treats ulcers by lowering the pH of stomach fluid, and it was shown that giving the drug with feed in the stomach only lowered the pH for 40% of the day. So 60% of the day, the horse's ulcers were not being treated, and this is certainly the reason some horses don't respond. The answer to this is to just not feed the horse, but this has its own set of problems as one cause of gastric ulcers is to take horses off feed for a period of time. So it seems counterintuitive to take horses with ulcers off feed. However, Dr. Ben Sykes from New Zealand indicates horses don't eat that much at night anyway, and even if you stop feeding at 10 p.m., the stomach will not be empty as it will still have some hay for several hours. He recommends to not feed after 10 p.m. and give omeprazole at 6 to 7 a.m. and feed one hour after giving the medication. By using this method, if your horse has ulcers in the squamous portion of the stomach, you can give one-half dose of omeprazole and save money. If the ulcers are in the glandular portion, a full dose must be used, and the portion affected can be determined when your vet puts a scope in the horse's stomach to diagnose the condition. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There will be a change in dove season dates this year for some Texas hunters. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. Texas dove hunters may notice a change this season. Owen Fitzsimmons, webless migratory game bird program leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, explains. We were able to get an additional two days in the special white winged dove area down in the south zone this year. So instead of the usual four days, we're going to have six. So that'll be the first two weekends of September will be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday with the usual noon to sunset shooting hours. We got that to give our hunters a little bit more flexibility in travel and a little bit more hunting opportunity in early September. Bag limits for the north, central, and south zones remain at 15 birds per day with no more than two white tipped. The possession limit is three times the daily bag limit. In the south zone on special white-winged dove days, the bag limit is 15 birds per day with no more than two morning doves and two white tipped doves. Possession remains at three times the daily bag. The regular dove hunting season for the north and central zones opens on Wednesday, September 1st. Dove hunting season in the south zone follows on September 14th. The special white-winged dove days will be September 3rd through the 5th and September 10th through the 12th. The falconry season follows on November 19th. 
New season hunting licenses go on sale Sunday. Be sure to pick one up before this year's season begins. Dove hunters must also have a Texas Migratory Game Bird Stamp endorsement and must be certified by the Harvest Information Program. You can become HIP certified when buying your hunting license by answering a few questions. Additional details on this year's dove season are available on OutdoorAnnual.com. That's OutdoorAnnual.com. You can also find them on the Outdoor Annual app. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It is time to check the markets. Jessica will be back with a complete look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets right after this. Keep it here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Strong demand for beef provided some support to the cattle complex on Tuesday. October live cattle up 65 cents to 128.12. December live cattle up 50 cents to 133.40. September feeder cattle closed down 15 cents to 163.05. October feeder cattle closed up 15 cents to 165.85. Boxed beef was higher Tuesday. Choice up $4.66 to $304.46. Select was up $2.29 to $283.10. Now let's check the livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Let's head over to Seguin. Talk to Brian Lentzman from Seguin Cattle Company. Cousin Brian, how'd they sell? Excellent again this week. I mean, we haven't lost any ground from last week. Packer cows, I think they put a couple of bucks on them. The quality was good. Easy to sell them. Well, let's walk the pins. Ended up with 650 head of cattle. Those two to three weight steers, $1.44 to 209 Three to four weights, $1.65 to 214 Four to five weights, $1.35 to $1.98. Five to six weights, $1.40 to $1.65. Six to seven weights, $1.29 to $1.75. Seven to Eight weights, dollar thirty to a dollar forty-five. On the heifer mates, two to three weights, dollar twenty-four to a dollar sixty-six. Three to four weights, dollar forty-five to a dollar seventy-four. Four to five weights, dollar thirty-three to two hundred five. Five to six weights, dollar thirty-five to a dollar ninety. And the six to seven weight heifers brought from a dollar thirty-five to a dollar seventy-four. Top end of the packer cows bring eighty-three bucks today. Uh, top end of the bulls bring ninety-eight. Had a few uh, palpated cows. They brought from seven fifty to eleven twenty-five, and the pairs brought from five twenty-five to eight hundred. Sheep and goats ended up with. 663 of them and those good nannies they brought from 200 to 260 kid goats from 320 to 390 and then when you get to them dorpers uh the good ewes brought from 170 to 240 with the lambs bringing 280 to 320 so like i said it just it, it was good today 
Good. Now, Brian, I understand if the weather's right, you're going to have about 100 good Charlotte calves come next week? I'm hoping if, if Mother Nature allows it, we're, we'll have about 100 head of uh, Charlotte cross calves. They're going to weigh probably from 600 to 800. What Mother Nature decides to do, and if you got any problems or you got a question, give me a call at 830-379-9955, or you can call me on my cell phone at 830-305-0652. Neighbor, you've been listening to Cousin Brian from Seguin Cattle Company on Walk in the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. Good day to you. All right. Thank you, Larry. After closing Monday, limit down. Lean hogs traded lower for much of the day on Tuesday. October lean hogs closed down 72 cents to 83.87. Block cheese closed up 7.75 cents Tuesday to $1.73. Barrel cheese was up 6.75 cents to $1.42. That provided some support to class three milk. September class three milk was up 67 cents to 17.25 a hundredweight. We saw some triple-digit gains Tuesday in the cotton markets. October cotton up 144 points to 92.74. December cotton up 142 points to 92.32. Analysts say that's likely due to weather concerns in the Atlantic Basin. Corn closed lower for the second day in a row Tuesday as the Texas corn harvest rolls on and the Brazilian corn harvest, well, the second Brazilian corn harvest is also underway. September corn was down one to 549 and a quarter. December corn was down a half to 553 and a quarter. By the way, the U.S. Department of Agriculture rates 64% of the U.S. crop as good to excellent. That's up two percentage points from last week. September hard red winter wheat was up 12 and three quarters Tuesday to 714 and a quarter. December hard red winter wheat was up 12 and a half to 726. November soybeans were up seven Tuesday to 13.36 and three quarters. USDA estimates that about 60% of the U.S. soybean crop is rated good to excellent this week. September natural gas was up five cents to 4.11. October natural gas up four cents to 4.12. After posting some losses on Monday, crude oil regained some ground on Tuesday. September crude oil up $2 to $68.48 a barrel. October crude oil up $1.93 to $66.29 a barrel. Now let's check the financial markets to see how things fared on Tuesday. According to Reuters, the Dow and the S&P 500 could have hit record highs on Tuesday after the Senate passed a $1 trillion infrastructure package. The Dow was up 156 points to 35,258. The S&P 500 was up 4 points to 4,436. The Nasdaq was down 70 points to 14,789. Well, that wraps up this look at our markets and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Remember, we'll be right here next time to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel. Y'all have a good day. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.